Hey everyone, and welcome to our second episode of Mimosa Talk. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm just going to get right into it because there is so much TV news that we have to cover since it was premiere week. So, you know, let's just dive right in. Um, It's going to kick off on a little bit of a a sadder note because Freeform has decided not to renew Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionists, for a second season. That means that the PLL franchise is officially coming to an end, and it's breaking the hearts of longtime fans everywhere. It's no secret that PLL, uh, the spinoff, was set in a prestigious school, and it didn't receive the same accolades as the original series. But in my opinion, the mystery was still entertaining enough to warrant a second season. Now all of us are just left wondering who the new A is, who the professor was, and what's worse is that we'll probably never find out, unless Marlene King you know, takes to social media and just airs it all out there, but that doesn't seem very likely, so we're just like left in the dark wondering what could have been. After the news was announced, Sasha Peters took to Instagram to say her goodbye to her character, Allison De Laurentiis. On social media, she wrote, Allie, you and me have been through a lot. I want you to know how proud I am of how much you've grown. And then she did uh, add that she knows that Allison and Emily got back together and that they're with the girls and she would like Emily to kiss them for her, which I mean is an uplifting moment because a lot of fans were very, very disappointed with the divorce drama that happened between Emily and Allison on PLL Perfectionist's first season. Uh, Janelle Parrish, who played the mischievous Mona Vanderwall, simply wrote onward and upward. And creator Marlene King paid tribute, writing, PLL will always be a giant part of me, my family, and a lot of you. My deepest gratitude to our cast and crew for their tremendous efforts, and to our passionate fans who gave us all of these years to play together. It really is going to be very, very sad to say goodbye to Rosewood and Beacon Heights. It's been a really great ride, but I guess all good things must come to an end, right? On a more uplifting note... You can call Jared Padalecki Chuck Norris from now on. Uh, Padalecki is gearing up to finish his 15th and final season on Supernatural. I know, we're not ready to say goodbye to this one just yet. (laughs) But he's got his next iconic role all lined up. According to multiple reports, uh, Padalecki is set to lead a reboot of Walker, Texas Ranger. The original series uh, aired from 1993 to 2001, and it followed Norris's character Cordell Walker as he solved crimes and threw roundhouse kicks. Um, Considering all the monsters and demons Padalecki had to fight in Supernatural, I think he's got this one in the bag. There was um, talk of Padalecki having a second character that is a female as his kind of counterpart, which, I mean, would be pretty cool. They That would make them a dynamic duo. So um, we're just waiting for more on that and there is no premiere date as of yet. It's almost like I willed this into the universe, but Aunt Freya is going to guest star on an episode of Legacies. On my first episode of Mimosa Talk, I said that I'd love for one of the original characters, like Aunt Freya, to pop into Mystic Falls looking for her niece Hope. No one in town currently remembers Hope, but maybe a powerful witch like Freya, who wasn't in town when Hope dived into Malivore, could come back and kind of kickstart the search for her niece and help everyone, like Rick and Landon, 
remember Hope's existence. The news doesn't confirm any of that. That's just my wishful thinking, uh, but it does say that Riley Vogel will appear on season two, episode six. By that point, Hope could have found her way back to the Salvatore school, so she might already have her memories back. It's unclear. But what do you think Aunt Freya's purpose is for returning? Is she just there to visit her niece? Is she there to kickstart a bunch of people's memories? Or is she just like joining the faculty? Because that would be pretty cool too, wouldn't it? God Friended Me uh, returns to CBS tonight. It is premiering its second season tonight, you guys. And there is so much to look forward to. I had a chance to chat with uh, Suraj Sharma, who plays Rakesh on the hit show, and get some insights about, you know, what we can expect for the second season. Um, Sharma did reveal that there would be some God account-related movement that happens in Paris uh, with Kara, who, because she left to Paris at the end of the season finale, to write a book uh, with Simon and Priya um, and Henry. We also read a few spoilers that mentioned Simon would be helping Kara uncover something from her past in Paris, which could be related to the God account. So yeah, like the God account is worldwide and it has a worldwide reach. Um, over in New York, Rakesh said he will be starting his new job, but Sharma did tease that it won't last long. So either Rakesh gets a new job, he quits this job, or the God account somehow messes with his career. Uh, he also teased some trouble in paradise for Rakesh and Jaya, which none of us want to see because uh, they're one of our favorite couples. And he also gave us some insight about Joy and said that this new character, she becomes a crucial part of this new season. In the finale, uh, you know, we saw Joy debut in the last scene as someone who got a friend request from the God account, and then her first friend suggestion was, in fact, Miles. Um, she's probably not going to take well to the God account, just like Miles did in the first episode of the first season. So it'll be interesting to see like her take on the God account and how she fits in with everyone and what her dynamic is and what role she'll be playing within the God account. Um, I can't really reveal much because this interview was done for my freelancing gig at TV Fanatic, but that's where you can find the full interview ahead of tonight's episode. So go to tvfanatic.com to check that one out and be sure to watch because you don't want to miss this season. It's going to be great. I'm starting a new segment called Baby Monitor um, because there's so much pregnancy news um, that's happening and so many actresses are expecting children that, I mean, it just literally warrants its own segment. Um, this news is a little bit older, but still something to rejoice. Italia Ricci, who is known for her roles on Chasing Life and Designated Survivor, finally gave birth to her baby. I say finally because I honestly feel like this girl was pregnant for forever. And she felt it too and actually documented her whole journey in this like hilarious way on social media. She is the queen of puns. If you don't follow her, you have to. Richie and her husband, Robbie Amell, gave birth to their first child together, Robbie Amell V, on September 12th. So we're just sending congrats to that couple and honestly just continue following her baby mama journey on social media because like I said... She is hilarious. Matt Davis, who plays the patriarch Alaric on The Originals, is expecting his first child, a baby girl, with his wife Kylie. Um, Matt shared a photo on social media 
uh, writing, and then there were five, which referenced them, their two dogs, and their upcoming new bundle of joy. Um, then he also shared a onesie that read, Shit Just Got Real, and teased a 2020 arrival. Uh, Davis has been playing a dad to a whole school of magical creatures, including two angsty teenage daughters. So we think he's got a handle on this by now. Jane the Virgin's Yale Girl Blast is also pregnant with her first child. She played two characters on the hit CW series, Petra and Aneska, her twin sister. Uh, the actress shared the news on social media by posting... Well, she did it in a really, really fun way. She posted two pictures from a red carpet event. The first one was a front view, which just, you know, looked normal. And the second was a side view that revealed her growing, beautiful baby bump. Confirming the news were also her co-stars, who sent all these well wishes on her Instagram page, including Gina Rodriguez, who delivered a Yes Mama comment. So, of course, Jane would be supportive of Petra. Like... We love those too. Jenna Dewan, the resident star, is also pregnant and expecting her second child, but first child with boyfriend Steve Kazim. Uh, Dewan, she shares her six-year-old daughter Everly with ex-husband Channing Tatum. Reports said that Jenna did tell Channing um, the news before it hit the media, and his reaction was, you know, surprised at how quickly everything happened, but ultimately happy for her. And according to Jenna, Everly is pumped to be a big sister. And lastly, Shay Mitchell is getting ready to welcome her new child. The former Pretty Little Liars and You star has been documenting her pregnancy journey on this hilarious YouTube vlog series titled Almost Ready. Um, Shay said she never wanted a baby shower, but at the last minute decided to have one. And it was rather unconventional because they held it at a strip club. Yep, I said strip club. Shay and her friends went to see Magic Men Live and they called the baby shower a baby bachelorette, which I mean is cute and I think that needs to catch on because how fun is that? Um, at one point, as the men are stripping in front of Shay Mitchell, uh, she's heard yelling, oh my God, I'm going into labor. So honestly, we love her sense of humor. We love this take on a baby bachelorette and we can't wait to follow her baby mama journey on social media. Um, so congrats to all the couples, congrats to all the new upcoming mothers and new mothers and baby monitors off to a really, really great start, you guys. All right, and now let's kick things off with our fall TV premiere week. So as usual, this is where we put in the spoiler alert. So plenty of our favorite shows like This Is Us, The Resident, returned this week, while other shows like Emergence uh, premiered, earning a spot on our DVR lineup. So I'll start with Emergence. Emergence aired with a very strong pilot that proved its staying power by the time the hour was up. Allison Tolman, she makes a wonderful and unlikely heroine with Joe. She's confident, successful, and headstrong, yet she also has a killer maternal instinct that comes into play when she arrives at the scene of a mysterious plane crash and finds a young girl, who she later names Piper, hiding in the bushes. That motherly bond is the undertone for the whole first episode, pushing Tomlin to break laws 
and put herself and her family at risk to protect this girl she knows absolutely nothing about. Piper is an enigma herself. She claims not to remember anything about herself, and I say claim because there's plenty of scenes that say otherwise. Piper immediately begins exhibiting supernatural powers, which explain why she's emerged from the accident unscathed. But we don't know the extent of those powers, which is obviously where the mystery stems from. Um, as in most sci-fi thrillers, there is a government conspiracy when a team of fake NTSB agents comes looking for Piper. Joe takes her home and protects her at all costs and naively tells her that those fake parents who came to rescue her no longer pose a threat. But obviously we know that's not true and there's likely more fake parents who are coming um, since this is a government conspiracy and those fake parents were likely some kind of homeland agents or something. Joe also meets an investigative reporter named Benny Gallagher at the crash site who knows all about the conspiracy cover-up and offers to work with her. It's all pretty standard stuff, but for a pilot, it's chock full of information and tidbits. The characters are intriguing, the mystery is thought-provoking, and as promised, it all moves at a much quicker pace than manifest. We may not have all the answers we need initially, but we do have a lot to work with. There's plenty of moments that'll make you jump, but the most chilling part to me was the final scene where Piper seemingly turned from an innocent girl to someone hiding a much darker secret. She had it in her to cut out a chip that was behind her ear and flushed it down the drain. So what is she plotting? Who is she hiding from? Why won't she tell anyone the truth? And why does she believe that if she remembers who she was, that she'll get taken away from Joe and her family? Guess you have to tune in next Tuesday to find out. So this is us through most of its dedicated audience for a loop. Remember when I said they were adding 10 new characters? Yeah, we met all of those 10 characters during the season four premiere, which truthfully felt more like a pilot spinoff than an actual episode of our beloved show. The characters had compelling storylines, and I was interested in learning more about them, but I did feel this sense of wanting to just go back to the Pearsons. The only time I felt as if we were still watching This Is Us is when we got flashback moments to Jack meeting Rebecca's parents for the first time. The episode was titled Strangers, and it worked mainly because the episode fed into Rebecca's quote about meeting a stranger who will change your life. All of these characters started out as strangers in the beginning, of the hour, but by the end, they began to understand how they were going to play a bigger role in the show, and thus our lives. Jennifer Morrison's character, Cassidy, was a war soldier returning from the Middle East where she'd done and seen things that she'd rather have forgotten. The trauma and PTSD ended up unraveling her life, her family, and her marriage to Ryan, and when she sought out help from a Veterans Affairs support group, she encountered Nikki. Jack's previously believed to be deceased brother. Now, these two didn't exactly interact. Instead, a drunken Nikki threw a chair through the window during the meeting, prompting them to call Kevin, who booked a flight out to help his uncle and will probably meet Cassidy that way. The theory that she's his future wife and possibly the mother of his child is on track. Then there was Kelly, Darnell, and Malik, um, it was obvious that this family was going to be involved with Randall and Beth Pearson in some way, but it wasn't immediately clear how. 
I guessed that they'd be the new neighbors, but by the end of the episode, it was revealed that Malik and Deja were going to be classmates and smitten with each other. After meeting Malik at a barbecue, Deja came home with a boy crush smile that made Beth and Randall stop in their tracks. But Malik might not be the kind of guy Randall Pearson approves of because he's a young single father trying to provide for his baby girl with the help of his family. Randall might be fine with it, or he may take out a page of Rebecca's father's playbook and attempt to sabotage the relationship at any cost. Lastly, there was an unnamed blind man whose story was a little bit more peculiar. He was trying to feed his dog bacon, dropped a plate, and went to a local diner to get breakfast where he chatted up the worker, Lucy, and then the two hit it off. His storyline accelerated rapidly um, as we saw him and Lucy go on their first date, get engaged, they planned to open the restaurant that she'd been talking about, and eventually she told the man that she was pregnant. It was cute, but it didn't pull at your heartstrings until we saw a scene with Toby and Kate and little baby Jack at the doctor's office where they just found out that baby Jack won't ever get his eyesight back. Yes, the blind musician is Jack Damon in the future. I know, tears. Uh, it's comforting to know that his life turns out all right and that he finally pursues the dream of becoming a musician just like his mother and his grandmother wanted. But it was just still a lot to take in and it proved that This Is Us can still do it. They can still make us cry and are capable of delivering emotional storylines about characters other than the core five. The Resident returned with an explosive episode. I'm not joking. Conrad was involved in not one but two explosions after he went down to the radiation room to save a child who had run off from the emergency room. I truly hope it's not that easy to just make your way down to a restricted area in a normal hospital setting because that's terrifying. Conrad survived the explosions and walked away with a few injuries, nothing that will seriously impact his time at Chastain. But the same cannot be said for his friend Annie, guest starring One Tree Hill's Moira Kelly. Mama Karen, everyone. Um, I about lost it when I saw Karen Scott in the episode. She hasn't changed one bit, and her warm demeanor continues to light up the TV screen. Annie's cancer was revealed as they were operating on her following the blasts. It was also revealed that Nick's sister, Jessie, was the one who didn't survive following the season finale cliffhanger. The bait and switch at the beginning showed Nick talking to her sister in a field of flowers, but it turns out that was just a dream and she was actually there with Conrad and her father and just hallucinating Jesse. Though I'd rather have had the father pass away. Without Jesse, Nick can finally move on from being the caretaker. So much of her character hinged on being responsible for her sister, and without that responsibility, we can see her become Nick. She's been avoiding going back to work, aka the scene of her sister's death, but seeing the patients in need of her and her services in her clinic, she'll likely return and help Mina reopen that free clinic. For now, her relationship with Conrad is going well, but since she just lost her sister, Nick needs some stability. The only person aside from Jesse that's always been there for her has been Conrad, so it's not surprising that she's kind of hanging on to him and keeping him close. 
Hopefully it's not just a comfort thing because I'm really ready for them to just embrace this relationship and move forwards, not backwards. There's a new doctor at Chastain and he's as menacing as his name makes him out to be. Dr. Kane is a brilliant doctor, but what's better is that he bills $80 million a year. The resident never shies away from like tackling the dirty side of running a hospital, the one you know that puts profit over patient care. And Kane's addition really emphasizes that a hospital is a business. Bell, he walks the fine line between being that money-hungry doctor that he used to be and a more level-headed and patient-oriented CEO that he's grown into. But he understands both sides. He wants good doctors with morals, compassionate empathy on his team like Kit, um, but he also knows that Kane is a necessity and he's trying to make all of this work. Kane's ego-driven personality and penchant for luxurious things kind of reminds me of AJ Austin when he first came to Chastain. The only difference here is that AJ cared about his patients in a way that Kane doesn't seem to. We'll see what happens going forward, but all of the doctors and residents definitely seem wary of him and his strategies. So we're going to see that kind of unfold as season two continues. I love Chicago PD and I have a sweet spot for it because I'm in Chicago. I constantly run into them filming around the city. I've been an extra a few times and even a stand-in, but the season premiere didn't impress me as much as I hoped it would. I found the hour to be pretty predictable, though it was very clearly not Kelton's murderer because he doesn't commit such obvious crimes anymore. And the question of who was behind the murder wasn't as compelling as I would have liked it to be. At the end of the day, none of us truly cared about Kelton. <laughs> I'm sorry, my dog is sitting here snoring next to me. So if you hear little snores, just know that that's a little pug. Anyways, um... What, like I said, at the end of the day, none of us really cared about Kelton. He was an asshole that would have ruined Chicago as mayor. He didn't make much of an impact as a character. There were no other feelings for him aside from hatred and annoyance. If it had been Voight or Antonio who murdered Kelton, it would have been way more vital to the storyline. But since neither of them were responsible, it didn't really matter. Especially because the killer turned out to be Kate Brennan. She's been around for a season, but like Kelton, she hasn't made much of an impact. It's cool that she's there, but it doesn't really matter if she isn't. She's replaceable. Brennan confessed to killing Kelton, and Voigt walked away to give her some time to get her affairs in order, which basically means he was going to let her kill herself. Halstead stopped her at the very last minute, thankfully, but then he got in trouble from Voigt, who you know, said that he was overstepping and he wasn't following directions and falling in line. And it seems like they're trying to make Halstead the new moral compass for Voight, just like Antonio and Al were. Um, but it just doesn't, doesn't fit the bill. Um, and that was basically it. The, ter the team searched for Antonio for a minute, um, and then Voight said he was at some off-book clinic getting help for his addiction. That does leave us with the possibility of Antonio returning in the future. But it's also a really crappy way to just write off a really strong character that did so much for intelligence. Um, it's just not the proper send-off, and it's 
it's really unfortunate for Antonio and for fans. Like I said, without Antonio or Alan intelligence, the balance is kind of off. Those two were the only ones capable of counteracting Voight and keeping him in check. Everyone else on the team is younger, and they don't have all the years of experience to necessarily stand up to Voight. Like I said, when Halstead did it, it was almost laughable. So the dynamic of right versus wrong is kind of gone with Al and Antonio being out of the picture. We'll see how Chicago PD moves forward, but based on this premiere, it doesn't seem too promising. On the other hand, Chicago Med was absolutely insane. They took the term medical soap to a whole new level. Nothing was going right at Med during the premiere. Natalie and Will set the events into motion. He was doing significantly better than she was, though he stupidly refused treatment, which you'd think a doctor would know better considering how many times they have to argue with a patient to get proper treatment. After the crash, Natalie went into surgery and woke up by the end of the episode with her fiancé by her side. Now, if you don't remember her getting engaged, it's because it never happened. We know Philip was going to propose, but from what we know, it never transpired. Or maybe he did and she rejected him off screen. We're not sure. Regardless, Natalie was not engaged when she was brought into the hospital after the crash, but Philip took it upon himself to tell the doctors that he was her fiancé and then slipped the ring onto her finger when no one was looking. Everyone found it suspicious, and I'm glad at least someone is onto him and calling him out. Philip never struck me as a crazy individual. He was a grieving father who found comfort in his daughter's nurse. But it is odd that he didn't warn his wife for a minute before falling for Natalie and he cared more about the proposal than his child's surgery. Yeah, maybe he's just scared to be alone. That, to me, would make more sense than this this direction that they're trying to take it in of Philip being some crazed individual. But seeing how they handled Ava and Connor's last episode, it stands to reason that Philip is going to turn out to be some psychopath who is like not even the father of that baby, and he kind of like killed his wife or some, some crazy thing like that. Ava and Connor's swan song was, oh, it was just a lot. The problem I have with Ava is that her character went from being this capable, smart, witty, and unfazed by Connor's charms person to this obsessed and deranged doctor. The writer said she had a personality disorder, which explained all of her behavior, but the storyline always seemed so forced to me. Her time was up merely because everything about it was so ridiculous. But still, even knowing that she killed Connor's father to be with him, I never expected her to slice her corroded to punish him for not being grateful or wanting to be with her. It was, that was, I mean, that was crazy. Connor, he tried his best to save her, but to no avail. Seeing how suspicious Connor looked by getting aggressive with Ava in the beginning and blaming her for the death of his father, I for sure thought that they would play it off as Connor attempted to murder Ava. But it seems that the writers ran out of time to fully dive into that arc. Connor went from trying to save Ava to declaring he was leaving med, and he then walked out without even saying goodbye to any of his friends. It felt rushed, 
and seeing how it ended on such a crazy note. Not justified for Dr. Rhodes, who was a great character. He really deserved better. Over on April and Ethan's side, they were finally getting along, which is surprising since they've been so hot and cold last season. Hopefully their relationship lasts this time around, baby or no baby. Even though I think that the pregnancy test wasn't accurate because there was too much foreshadowing with their patient, who was told she couldn't have a baby but ended up having a miracle child. By the end of the season, I expect these two are going to be parents. Maggie's breast cancer storyline is going to be an emotional roller coaster. She's such a strong-willed character and holds the whole ER together, so it'll be hard to see her become the patient now. But it is a reminder that doctors need to take the very advice they dish out and get checked out. They aren't invincible. My heart broke when she told Sharon that she didn't want the staff to know about her breast cancer and that she would just get treatment at a nearby hospital because she didn't want people to look at her as a sick person. That's so, that's so real. And finally, The Good Place premiered for its fourth and final season. That makes me really, really sad to say. Um, The episode was part one of two, which likely was spliced to usher in a new comedy, Sunnyside. I would have preferred to see both episodes back to back because it would have just made more sense in context, but I won't complain about The Good Place returning because it might be one of my favorite shows on the fall lineup. The episode picks up with our humans plotting a successful experiment to save humanity. In addition to John and Simone being the experimental subjects chosen by The Bad Place, we also meet Brett. I'm sorry, Brent, the egotistical dude that sparked probably the Me Too movement, and Linda, a woman of very few words who only wants peppermints to make her happy. The latter is the strangest addition, and it's eventually revealed that she is a demon in disguise. Yeah, the bad place wanted to rig the experiment. Classic, predictable, so very much like the bad place. The judge doesn't take this very well, and she hates cheaters, and conveniently makes the fourth experimental subject cheaty, whose memories have been erased because his existential crisis would blow the entire experiment. Eleanor struggles being around cheaty. She doesn't want to put him near Simone because she's scared that they're going to fall in love again. And in general, she just struggles to find ways to make these really, really sucky people realize what the four of them did in their very few first hours in The Good Place that they don't belong here. If none of these people get to that point, how will they ever learn to do good and be good and, you know, revamp the human's point system? Um, Are they going to rely on Chidi and his ethics classes to pull them through again this time? And if so, is the only way to become a better person to understand theories and philosophies? It just doesn't seem like that formula is going to work for everyone. And that's exactly the setback that Eleanor is seeing. So all in all, TV premiere week has been off to a really fantastic start. Um, We have a week before the CW brings back all of its oldies, goodies, and newbies. Um, Two of those that we're really excited about are Nancy Drew and Batwoman. So that is going to give us a lot more to discuss um, in the coming weeks. But 
yeah, I mean, how, what did you guys think of Premiere Week? What were some of your favorite returning shows? What are some of your favorite new shows that premiered? And what made it to your like must-watch DVR list? Um, let me know. And thank you so much for listening to episode two of Mimosa Talk. I'm Lizzie, your host. And just check out all our stuff at CraveUTV.com. Thanks, everyone, and see you next time.